Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new, better than ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast, produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hey folks, I'm Matt Wilson, host of Rhythm Roots on Diddy TV. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our guest this hour is world-class bluegrass musician and award-winning Nashville-based recording artist Billy Strings. Billy's been playing music and performing for over 20 years, so there's a lot of ground to cover. Joining Amy Wright over video call, here's Billy Strings. Welcome, Billy. How are you? Hey, doing good. Thank you so much for having me on. You're at home in Nashville these days? Yeah. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time at home, which is quite a change, you know? Yeah, it's a change for almost everyone this year. But uh, I talk to a lot of people, and they say that they've been spending the time writing music, hanging, or just kind of enjoying doing something else. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of that. You know, I've been, I've been on the road touring, um, you know, playing about 200 gigs a year for the past, like, 10 years. So, you know, that means not sleeping in my own bed very much. Um, so this has been a welcomed change of pace. Um, I wish I could be on the road right now, but at the same time, it's been nice to sort of slow down um, and get back to myself just a little bit, you know, instead of um, kind of burning the candle at both ends, you know. I know sometimes it, you have to sort of pause to even realize how fast you were moving. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, now that I've been home and sleeping in my own bed and just like hanging out watching movies and stuff, um, it's like, wow, this is... Part of me really likes it because I'm a lazy, I'm a lazy guy. But at the same time, like, I miss, you know, obviously what we had and what was what we were doing before all this. Um, it made me realize how I was taking it f- for granted. What was your favorite part about touring that you, you enjoyed when you were actually on the road like that? Uh, I mean, just every part of it. There's so, you know, from the just literally being on stage and playing music with my band to, you know, the after parties and the hanging out with friends and stuff like that to, like, the really family kind of feeling that we've developed with our fans. Um, no matter where we play, a lot of times we see the same a sa- the same group of people, you know? Like, if they travel everywhere and come see us and... Um, 
and then we end up hanging and partying with those guys after and it's just like a big like a big family you know a big traveling circus you know <laughs> would you say that bluegrass kind of lends itself to that that environment it's it seems like one of those genres of music that's sort of inclusive and um and it appeals to to people who want to uh be a part of a group yeah um you know, growing up, I went to a lot of bluegrass festivals, and, um, well, I didn't go to a lot of bluegrass festivals when I was younger and stuff, but, I mean, even in the last few years, I've been to a lot, and the ones that I did go to when I was younger were smaller bluegrass festivals, but it was like, nobody ever even made it to the stage, because they were just back in the campgrounds playing music, you know, with each other, and you'd just walk through the campgrounds and there's all these campers set up and there's just people picking at everyone and you just grab your guitar and go from jam to jam and until you end up finding, you know, a group of people who you really enjoy playing music with. The next thing you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and you've been playing music all night at somebody's campsite. And not to mention, these are five people that you're jamming with who you've never met, but you sound like a band that's rehearsed because you know all the same stuff. It is a very... Um, you know, like you said, uh, inclusive, and it's just, you know, everybody can join in and have fun kind of thing. Unless you bring, like, a tambourine and start, like, playing it really loud and overpowering <laughs> everybody, and and then we're going to have to talk, you know? <laughs> so you bring up just a very kidding. good point, which is that in bluegrass, everybody does know all those standards, so it's really easy to get together with people you don't even know and and start playing because, oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, hey... Let's play Salt Creek, and everybody who plays bluegrass from, you know, from Michigan to Florida to New York to Seattle, they all know that tune, you know. And it's strange how you can hear different accents within the musicians themselves, like players will play a, the same tune a, t a tiny bit differently, maybe down in like Kansas or something, than they would like up north. There's like you know, like a regional accent, even with just the music, like how, how the tunes, just the style that the tunes are played, you know? I don't think you ever really thought about that, that there's almost a, a way that you play an instrument depending on where you're from regionally. Totally. Yeah. You know, like I think, I've, like the West Coast kind of bluegrass dudes back then were more like barefoot kind of hippie guys, and then you you had like the clinch mountain you know uh virginia kentucky you know tennessee kind of sound real appalachian uh you know influenced and and there's like you know like i mentioned kansas and stuff there's the whole like swing kind of thing you know down there players have a little bit more swing in their in their sound you know um it is interesting it's just cool stuff now you grew up in ionia am i saying that right ionia yeah yeah, I own you, yeah. <laughs> and that small town in Michigan, and you started playing music really young. What'd you, what was it, three years old, four years old, you picked up a guitar, your dad got you one, or something of that yeah. variety? I mean, when I was, like, really little, like, still in diapers and, in you know, in my high chair, I had this little toy guitar. It was just a little plastic toy you know, with buttons and stuff like that, but I, it never had batteries in it. I would just, my dad gave me a pick, and I would play on that toy guitar. It had like a little speaker around, 
where the sound hole would be, and it had these horizontal ridges, so I, it actually made sort of a percussive sound when I would scratch my pick across it. And uh, so they would be all jamming and stuff, and I'd join along with them. And that was, like I said, I was three years old and, you know, probably had, like, food all over my face sitting up there in my high chair trying to sing, um, you know, Hey There, Little Red Riding Hood or whatever. <laughs> and then when I was about four is when I got my first guitar, four or five years old. I, uh, we were walking through this antique store, and I just saw it, and it was like a smaller guitar. It was like my size, but, it, you know, it was real. It had real strings and stuff, and... Um, so I just threw a fit on the floor of the antique store, even though my dad didn't have much money, um, he got it for me. You know, I think he probably spent his last little 20 or 30 bucks that he had to his name on my stupid little guitar, but I'm sure glad he did. See, see, you did that just right. You just pitched a fit and you got what you wanted, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, I, <laughs> it, I remember that day though. I mean, it was like, it was like there was a beam of light shining down on the guitar, and I was just like, you know, the angels were singing, and, and it was just like, oh, and I need, I was like, I need this thing. I promise I'll play it every day. I'll, you know, I'll practice and I'll get good and I'll play music with you every day, Dad, and you know, and did you? And then I think, <laughs> oh hell yeah, and I think the woman at the antique store was like. She was like, oh, he really wants it. You know, I can cut you a deal or something, you know. So we ended up getting it for whatever we could afford. And, yeah, it was a, it was one of those little, like, Sears, Roebuck kind of house brand guitars. It was like, you know, a laminate, like, plywood guitar. And it had the painted on wood grain, you know. It looked like grill marks, you know, on, on the top of the guitar. The name on it said Norma on the headstock. It said Norma. Um, yeah, I smashed that guitar in a drunken fit years later. Uh, not my proudest moment. Yeah, I smashed it and threw it in the wood stove. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it actually get, burned? You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's gone. I wish I would, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That was my first guitar that I, you know, that I ever had. And I just, it, I don't know, back when I was a teenager, you know, I got drunk and just smashed it because I was like angry or something. Yeah. Well, you know, my mom gave me a, a a ring that was my grandmother's ring. It had a, a stone in it, and uh, my stone fell out in the shower, and I thought it was a bug on the bottom of the shower, and I kicked the stone down the down the drain. Oh no! <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that I sucks. mean, you know, we do those things when we're young, and I, to this yeah. day, I could kick myself. But your dad was a musician, right? So um, yeah. he wasn't—he wasn't a performer. It wasn't his his profession. But he was playing all the time around you at home. Was he bluegrass? Was he play? Did he play bluegrass, or was it something else, or everything? Growing up, it was m the majority of the music that I was playing with my dad and was into was bluegrass. But my dad is also, you know, and he, I would say that's maybe what he loves the most and kind of like me, like, I mean, I'm a lot like him, you know, he raised me and taught me everything I know and I'm, I'm really proud of that, you know, and I think that's really what keeps me going sometimes to this day is the bond that I shared with my dad over music, um, it's what drives me and encourages me still, um, 
you know, I get to call him and say, Dad, check this out, or, you know, listen to this song that I wrote, or, you know, this new thing that I learned, or whatever, and, you know, it's, and he's, it's still like when I was a little kid when he was proud of me and I'd learn to learn a song, you know? Um, what, what were we talking about? <laughs> I'm just like... Well, we're talking about your dad and, you know, just how having that influence of music in your household had to be great for you, and... Um, starting off playing bluegrass, I was talking to someone just recently, and we were saying bluegrass is, it's like classical music. It's tough. It's not the easiest music to play. So the fact that you learned that, that was your first passion, first thing you learned had to be a pretty great start out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, there's, like, for instance, my dad, when he started me out, he taught me G, C, and D, and he gave me a capo. And with that, with that little tool and those three chords, you can play a lot of bluegrass songs. And, you know, when I was little, I only played rhythm. I didn't play any of the, you know, the fancy picking. I just played just the rhythm. And I was like his little sidekick, you know. And so that, it was a very strong foundation for me to start. Because for one thing, I only played rhythm. I didn't have to worry about any of the fancier stuff yet it was just like let's just get the basics down for you know before you take the training wheels off just ride with them on for a while and get real used to it so I played just rhythm for a long time you know and and that kind of set me up to have like a good ear in a way that like by the way that the chords would change sometimes I would be able to even guess what chord was coming next you know when I was a little kid I thought I was like magic or something but really it was like Maybe the use of like seventh chords and stuff like that, like chords that are, you know, we're in G, and then if you play a G seventh chord, it kind of sounds like we're going to go to a C chord next. Um, And so back then I used to just impress myself, you know, I'd be like, wow, I knew, I knew to go to the four chord, even though I didn't know that it was coming. I just, I just guessed and it was right. How did I know that? Um, And so... Yeah, like the way that bluegrass harmony works, too. I used to think about, like, well, my dad is singing low, and this fella is singing high, but they're not singing the same note. And sometimes that guy stays the same, and my dad moves around. And whenever my dad moves, he moves, too, sometimes, you know. And it's just, like, noticing the way that the bluegrass vocals would kind of sweep up next to each other and the places that they would sit I can't really describe it very well because I don't have like a theoretical mind I've always learned like that just by ear just like the way the sounds are and the way they correlate to each other and bluegrass like you know each instrument has like a specific role you know the mandolin's kind of supposed to chop and the bandolin rolls and the guitar strums and you know the bass plays the the bass notes and um I just kind of like figured that stuff out when I was younger just by playing rhythm and stuff and just paying attention. Um, that way when I got older, once I did start trying to play leads and stuff and solos and stuff, it did sort of come a little easier because I just had been listening for so long and really just trying to pay attention, you know. And I'm not saying everything like came easy or anything, but but sometimes it did, you know. Well, I think when you listen to something for years, it, it is it is sort of ingrained in your brain. There's something there. 
um, listening to the music that you're playing, eventually it sort of sinks in rhythmically and, like you said, from a chord structure or, you know, where you want to go with it. Uh, but you, you, you started singing along the way. When did you start singing? Not really until later. Um, like, I used to sing when I was really little. You know, it must it, it must have been kind of funny. Like, there were these little jam sessions at, right down the road at this, it was like a little VFW hall. And it was like the, you know, the bingo crowd. And it was like a bunch of old folks and and they would get together and jam. It was called the Maple River Strummers. I grew up right on the Maple River over there in, in Muir. And um, I used to go down there. And I remember, like, being there singing Folsom Prison Blues, you know, when I was, like, six years old or something, standing on a chair so I could reach the microphone, you know. And... um all those old people would just lose it. They would just laugh, and they just loved me down there. And I remember specifically one time I, I stood up to the mic, and I looked at my dad, and I said, Are we getting paid for this, for crying out loud? <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just probably heard somebody say, you know, for crying out loud, and I just, like, wanted to use it in a sentence. <laughs> you know, I was like, Are we getting paid for this, for crying out loud? And everybody just died laughing. And so I, you know, back then I used to try to sing. I remember back then the problem was my voice was like too high. I was singing way up here and then I would drop way down here to hit the other note and then I would come way back up and it was just, I didn't have like enough range. I was like jumping octaves all the time. And so I just sort of stopped singing, you know, um, until I was about 16 or something. And then... What I was doing was hanging around at high school bonfires and parties and stuff like that, playing my acoustic guitar, you know, at, at parties and shit. And singing, like, Beatles songs and, you know, Led Zeppelin tunes and old bluegrass stuff and whatever. Um, but a lot of kind of more Beatles so songs and stuff like that. Even some, I remember, like, for a minute I was into, like, the whole, like, city and color kind of vibes, you know. Um... But one time I was at a party and I was singing this song and this guy came up to me and this guy, you know, no, no offense, Rich, <laughs> but this guy, I didn't take him to know nothing about music. You know what I mean? He wasn't a musician. He was like a football bro guy, you know, he was like just a dude that was at the party getting drunk and he goes... Dude, I can't hear you. You know, your guitar is louder than your voice. And that really stuck with me because he didn't, you know, because he's not a musician, because he's just a regular listener, you know, just a normal person. <laughs> sure. You know, like, I was like, dude, he's right. Like, I was shy, and I was not singing very loud, and... You know, my guitar probably was louder than my voice. And at that time, I just realized, like, dude, it's a big world, you know, sing loud. Uh, and and something, yeah, that and that sort of changed something in the way I started singing. I started having a little bit more confidence and not being scared to, like, you know, belt it out. And 
Yeah, I'm happy he said something, you know? At, at the moment, it, like, hurt my feelings or something. I was like, oh, what? You know? It, it, but it it really helped, you know, to have to have somebody say, hey, I can't hear you. You know? It's just like, oh, shit, maybe I should kind of speak up. You know? Sometimes it's good when someone just tells you honestly what they're thinking. And like you said, it stings for a second, but then you can maneuver. You can pivot and do something different. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that he said something, you know, cuz like I said it after that, I mean, I started like singing more, singing louder, um singing with more confidence and and then I even started writing my own songs, you know, or at least I wrote like a couple um when I was like 16 or 17 and then, you know, I played in bands. I I played in like a metal band and I played in another like kind of heavier band but not so heavy um and i didn't have really anything to do with writing the lyrics and stuff in those bands i just had a lot to do with writing the music and we would just like write music in a room and our vocalists would just be sitting there like working on the lyrics as we're writing the song and so by the time we got the song together he's like okay how about this you know he's probably got the lyrics done that was a fun way to write music i don't really do anything like that anymore um you know how do you write music do you write the lyrics uh, and the music do you collaborate with other people how do you do that i've been doing a lot of co-writing lately um it's been something that i've learned about since i moved to nashville yeah uh hanging out with my buddy john weisberger and uh my buddy aaron allen we just meet up on like zooms and stuff like that zoom calls and and write together uh, I recently got together with Luke Combs down in Florida and, and Wyatt Durrett, um, who's a wonderful writer, and had fun hanging with those guys. It's been really cool to write with other people because, like, I'm super uh, critical of myself. Like, a lot of times when I'm writing a song, I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, but when I have somebody else, that's like, you know, if I come up with a line or something and they're like, oh, that's great. I'm like, really? Sweet. You know, we can move on to the next one. If I was by myself, I'd sit there all day and oh, I got to figure out something better for this part. You know, I got to find something better. When really it's like somebody else would say, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, I'm like, I'm stoked on that part. I, I don't think we need to find something better. You know, like, all right. You think it's good enough? Really? Cool. And, I mean, honestly, like, it's hard for me to finish songs because I'll just get stuck like that. But if I have somebody else to tell me that it doesn't, that it's not horrible, then then I'll actually seemingly be okay with it. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's hard to write a song and put it out there for other people to criticize or not criticize. I mean, it's it's you're putting your whole self out there. It's the music, it's the lyrics, and whatever message you're putting out there. I don't think it's all that easy. And it is nice to have somebody else to validate a little bit of where you're coming from and that your thought process is is at least moving the, the right direction. What what uh, what kind of topics do you typically write about or is it important for you that the songs have a meaning lyrically? Yeah. Yeah, I think um whatever comes to mind for the most part um I've been trying to 
maybe allow myself to get into a more childish state of mind um, and write some songs that maybe aren't so like serious and you know oh my gosh the world is ending <laughs> uh, but most of the time that's what it's about um, I write a lot about substance abuse I guess because I saw a lot of that growing up saw a lot of people on meth saw a lot of people on heroin lost a lot of friends uh, to either prison or overdose or suicide shit like that you know um, so I've written about that quite a bit um, you know writing about missing somebody when they're standing right in front of you that seems to be a common topic that I often end up writing about that and then just like the you know how I kind of feel like we've maybe lost touch a little bit just in general as a species <laughs> with with our world and being kind to one another and just yeah everything you know being kind of here on this planet not just destroying everything in our path <laughs> yeah well you know songwriting is is such a platform for getting a message out there. I mean, your song can be, like you said, it can be childish and fun, or it can have something that has a serious meaning. Um, but I would think the cool thing is connecting you and your thoughts to your fans and people who are listening. And um, it must be somewhat gratifying to hear them interpret what you've written. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, there's certain songs where, you know, like maybe a listener heard it and kind of thought about something else you know like I'm trying to think I wrote this one song um, Enough to Leave about a couple friends of mine who OD'd and died and you know within a week of each other so the whole song is about you know my friends that died but this person you know hit me up and was like man you know me and my girlfriend just broke up or whatever and and this really hit home, you know, and I'm just like, that's so awesome that like, that's not really what that song is about. But for that person in that time, it really was still meaningful in that way. Um, I love when songs can be like interpreted in many different ways, and it leaves it up to the listener to decide what is the song about. You know, it's not so blatantly, um, you know. I miss my mom. You can't really say like, "What does he mean? What does he mean by that? He misses his mom." <laughs> you know, it's like there's nothing to like ponder. But if you say like, you know, something more, I don't know, fancy in a way that just makes Ethereal. it like, huh? Yeah, totally. And I can get lost on that kind of stuff too. I think maybe sometimes I need to try to just be a little bit more accessible. Um, but you know. I like to try to make myself think, you know. And um, another huge thing for me is when, you know, somebody said, like, you know, that person I mentioned, or there's been a lot of people that have sent me direct messages or whatever and just saying, you know, I'm going through some shit and your songs really helped me, you know. That's the biggest reward I could ever get for playing music, you know more than any huge headlining slot, more than any huge paycheck, more than any thousands of fans packed into an arena. 
even just that one person saying, man, this really helped me through a moment or whatever. That's, that's the biggest reward I could ever have for doing all this, you know, is for like touching that one person. That, that's, that shit really gets me. It's like, that's why I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, you're an artist and your art is touching other people and there's not much more that you can want from being an artist, whether it's visual or it's musical. It's that connection that you have with other people that um, I think w that makes art so amazing and important, you know, part of everything we do. Um, speaking of which, the video you produced for Home was mm -hmm. claymation, sort of uh, amazing. It was a long video. Tell me about that. What gave you the idea to do the animation and, and produce a video like that? Well, my friend Kevin Tama is the one who really made that video and, um, you know, came up with that whole idea of the lonely guy sitting in the house and and the, the little mouse family and all that. He's a really artistic guy. Um, I met him when, uh, when my girlfriend and I first got together way, you know, back when I lived in Michigan. And he's a... Uh, he used to live in the Upper Peninsula, and he's just... I don't know how much you know about the UP, but there's some good people up there. <laughs> and and he's one of them. And so, yeah, he just is like a friend of mine that's like, Hey, I want to try to make a video for home. And I'm like, go for it. You know? I love that stuff. That's like... One, I love when I can, like, involve my friends and let them utilize their talents to like help out you know around here it's super cool you know like any anybody who has anything to to bring to the table or something i'm usually like hell yeah let's do that that sounds awesome you know well it was an amazing video and of course diddy tv is it's all about the uh, music but also the video content and um what what's very cool about sort of the americana bluegrass rootsy genres is that I don't know what it is but there are all these creative people making these amazing movie type videos that um, are just incredibly creative and Home is one of those that is just um, super cool to watch uh, the song's amazing and then um, he did such an amazing job with the video as well I've been really into music videos lately or like sort of just getting back into them a little bit, you know, like, uh, I started watching a couple videos from, like, when I was growing up, um, and I found this, like, Foo Fighters Learning to Fly music video, oh my gosh, it's so good, like, music videos used to be, you know, so awesome, and I, there's a lot of, you know, really awesome ones that, you know, are still coming out, you know, WAP comes to mind. <laughs> or like, um, yeah, just amazing, brilliant, uh, visually pleasing videos, you know, and it's cool. I mean, I want to get in. I want to do some stuff like that because, like, it used to that. What used to be like when I was growing up, that's what we did: is we watched like Fuse TV and like MTV and all the music videos and stuff. We just VH1 and. We'd watch all that, you know, all the time. Music videos would just be on. And I've never been, like, 
I mean, I've done maybe a couple of them, but I'm thinking maybe with this whole like pandemic and stuff that I actually have more time to to do stuff like that, like be in the studio and work on music videos and like stuff that usually I just be like, yeah, if you guys want to make a video, that's fine, but I'm on tour, like, you know, I'm playing gigs, that's what I do. Um, Now I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to make a video, you know, I want to do that, I want to do some fun stuff. Um, Yeah, it's just cool, and then thinking about being in the studio more too, it's like I have all this time. Shit, I should just be working on music in the studio, you know? Do you have some songs written? I mean, are you going to be back in the studio soon? Yeah, yeah, I've been working on some stuff and um, kind of getting to that point where I'm just getting, you know, sick of myself enough to <laughs> squeeze out a few more songs. But yeah, we're going in soon um, just to mess around for a couple of days, just to get the band together and... We're bringing in this guy, Jonathan Wilson, who's a wonderful musician and producer and stuff. And he's just going to come hang out with us and see what kind of sonic space he can steer us into. And uh, my friend Gary Pachoso will be dialing us in. So should be cool. I'm looking forward to it, Just especially just to get back together with the band and just jam, you know, and not really have a a goal or like a... You know, no pressure. Just get together and play some music and see what happens. Who all is in the band and who plays what and how do you know them? How did you meet them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Billy Failing first. Billy Failing is, well, he's originally from Portland, Oregon, but he lived down here in Nashville for a while. That's where I met him when I first moved to Nashville probably four or five years ago. He was one of the first people I met, and I went to some jam session, and he was sitting there playing the banjo all night, and it's like, hey, we should hang out, you know, and and I was trying to put a band together at the time. You know, I already sort of had a thing going. I just needed to find a band. So I'm like, man, I got some, you want to come play some gigs with me? He's like, hell yeah, I'm looking for something. So he's been like my, my main homie for a while, you know, he's been ride or die for like, I don't even know, four years probably. And then the second guy I met was uh, Royal, and he's an amazing bass player. He's from Texas, um, lives here in Nashville. Really amazing musician. Every night I get to stand on stage and play music with him. Like, as a, you know, it just feels great. It's really an honor to play with these guys. They're so good, you know, I really mean that. Um... And, yeah, Royal, I met him at a Fish concert here in Nashville at the Ascend Amphitheater, and I was like, you know, we were, everybody was high, and it, <laughs> he was like, hey, I'd love to jam, you know, sometime, and I kind of, like, thought he was... I had just hired this other guy to play bass, and even though I, I really wish I could have hired Royal in that moment, but I had just hired this other guy, and I'm like, shit. Like, and I felt like so awkward just because I felt like, well, he was kind of like in, insinuating, like, hey, I'm sort of looking for a gig. And I'm like, man, I really want him, but I, got to, I just hired this other guy, so I can't just like let him go. And, you know, this, and so when I first met him there at that show, like, there was this big awkward 
uh, interaction between <laughs> us like that. Or at least that's how I felt about it. Maybe I was just high. But then something actually happened, and the bass player who was in the band um, had stepped down. And so I, was, I called him up. I was like, man, you still want to come play? He's like, hell yeah. So he just came over and we started jamming. Oh, and it was so funny, too, because the other thing about Royal is I thought he was like a goody-goody. I thought he was like, you know, I was like, not that we're like a big party band or anything, but like we used to, you know, we used to be a little bit. And I just was like, man, I don't know if he'll, he'll hang. It's not really us either. Most of the time it's our fans, you know, like every backstage and there's drugs and, you know. Our first gig, there was like, you know, some naked dude standing in the front row, just like covered in glitter, you know. <laughs> and and I, you know, I'm just we're playing, and you know, I'm like, so what do you think about this, you know? And just getting that look, like, yeah, this is cool, you know. So it was a wild party in Kentucky that we played at the Terrapin Hills Farm, and it was just like we pulled up, and it was just a huge bonfire and. Like, I, I mean, naked people everywhere, and everybody's on something different, and it, everybody's just having a great time. And it's like, this was Royal's first gig. <laughs> yeah, so so I realized that day that he wasn't a goody-goody, and he liked that kind of um, party, and, and it was fun. So then he introduced me to Jared Walker, who is an incredible mandolin player. I don't... I think he's the best out there. I play with him all the time, and he just blows me away every single time. Pisses me off, actually, sometimes, because he's so good. But, yeah, he's amazing. He's my buddy, Jared Walker. He, We go fishing together and hang out and stuff. We're actually friends. So So you started <laughs> your day fishing. Is that one of your hobbies? You big-time oh, fisher? Yeah, absolutely. I, I go fishing every chance I get. What kind of fishing? Or all kinds, or...? Mostly bass. Mostly I fish for largemouth and smallmouth bass. But I like fishing for anything. I live in Tennessee now, and I'm I'm realizing that they got big stripers down here, and I'm, I'm going to figure out how to get on them. I actually went on the trip this morning to do just that. Um, just kind of go see where to go, what kind of gear I need, you know, where to look and how to find these fish and stuff. So I think I got a pretty good idea. I just want to go out there and pull one of those big suckers into my boat. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> how do you find the fish? I mean, how do you find them? I have electronics on my boat, like sonar. You know, you can kind of cruise around and see balls of bait fish and stuff like that below the water. And a lot of time where there's like balls of bait fish, you know, there there's bigger fish kind of feeding on those guys. And you can, you can look for those guys. Um, a lot of times I'm just throwing into trees and grass lily pads cover and stuff like that where the bass live they're predator fish and they're you know they ambush things so they'll just sit way back in a you know a bunch of grass or lily pads or like up in some tree branches or something and just wait for something to go by and just go out and grab it and um so a lot of times i'm throwing right up into the trees on on the side of the shore you know looking for stuff like that I'm looking for like trees that are half underwater, so there's all them branches and stuff underneath, all cover and structure for the for the fish to live in. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's part of it for me too that I get a thrill out of is just like, you know, you go up to a spot and it's like, oh, this looks like a good spot, 
and then if you catch a fish there, you're like, I knew this was a good spot, you know? I Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, um, I'm the world's worst fisherman, so I was just trying to get some tips from you. Um. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm not the best either. I'm just, I'm still learning. I think it's kind of like music in the way where there's no ceiling. You can't just, like, you know, reach the maximum ability of like fishing or something it's just every time you go you learn something else you know oh next time i won't do that or you know i'm gonna do that again next time you know um and so every time you go you just learn a little something it's kind of like every time you go i mean or every time you play a song really if i mess something up on a song and you know a lot of times i'll remember that like oh yeah okay that's where i messed up last time next time around i won't do it because i'll remember you know do you ever bring uh, your guitar in the boat i haven't really done that yet but i'm sure we're gonna have some good jam sessions on the boat eventually it's about the right weather for it too it's nice and cool out there um this like fall in tennessee is just awesome it's like you know late michigan summer Really cool. That's one of the nice things about the South when you get to the fall, finally, after the really, really hot summer. The fall is really nice, and the winter's not so bad. You just have to make it through the really hot summers here. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and it's, you know, for fishing, it gets really tough trying to um, find bass in the summer in Tennessee, too, because the water gets so warm, they just go down. And uh, it's harder to find them then. So one of the things I was reading was you love you love cars. So what's yeah. up with that? Yeah. Like old vintage cars or what kind of cars? Mostly Chevy Chevelles, honestly. I got two of those, a 72 and a 66. And I'm working on both of them. Really been fun to learn how to tinker on cars. My grandpa was a mechanic and he was a race car driver when I was little. Everybody asked me what the 33 is about. That's what it's about. My grandpa, uh, that was his race car number, 33. Way back in like the 40s and 50s, I think, he used to race like stock cars on a dirt track. And I was born on his birthday, which is October 3rd. So both of our birthdays are October 3rd, two threes, 33. Um, that number always comes up when, when he gets brought up or something or, you know, whenever... Whenever I look at my phone, it's like, you know, 333 or something. And it just, it always happens, you know. Um, so my grandpa, like I said, I mean, he was he was a badass, kind of a, he was crazy, dude. He was like an outlaw. Uh, he was a race car driver. He was drinking, smoking, crazy, party, you know, in and out of jail. He used to run moonshine from Moorhead, Kentucky, back up to Lansing, Michigan, um, and my grandma, on the other hand, was Baptist, never cussed, never drank, never, just, she was so straight. It was like they were exact opposites, you know, but they just were crazy about each other. It was, it was wild. Um, but when I was a kid, he would be working on his cars all the time. And he had two, two Chevelles, I remember, like a 68 and a 72, and the 72 was all torn apart in the garage. And I remember when he was sandblasting it and painted it. And when I was a little kid, I used to sit in that car and pretend like I was driving, you know. And and then 
later on my mom uh found one for like a really good deal and so when i was in like high school my mom had a chevelle for a while so it was just like you know the it's kind of like in, in a sentimental way it's like the chevelle is like my family's like favorite car you know my grandpa loved them my mom loved them my my brother aaron loved them and loved working on them my brother aaron he took a lot of the mechanic stuff from my grandpa. I didn't learn so much. I was playing music back then and I didn't care about cars. For some reason later on in life I got bit by the bug. Like, you know, in the last few years I've been man, I need to learn how to tune a carburetor. You know what I mean? I've never had any interest in that before for some reason. But nowadays it's like I need to learn how to I should be able to fix my car, you know what I mean, when when something goes. And I think maybe this pandemic has a lot to do with it, too. Now I actually have the time to, like, um, to set aside to work on the car, you know. And I love getting up under there and, you know, pulling stuff apart and putting it back together. And then, wow, it's fixed. I did it. Like, there's pride, you know. And then when I'm driving the car down the street, it's like, hell yeah, man, I did this. Like, I, I fixed this thing, you know. Just cool. It just feels good. I don't know. You need to write a song about the, the Chevelle. <laughs> you need yeah. to write a song about it. I mean, you know, um, was absolutely that, was that your first car, or did would you have a different first car that you drove? Well, yeah, my first car. I guess I got my first car like sometime when I was in high school, and it was a. 1990 I think it was a 94 Pontiac Bonneville and it was a great car I I drove that thing all over Michigan for a couple years like before I even had a license I just would cruise around and go from Traverse City to Detroit and everywhere I I just got so used to driving like with no license that it was it was really dumb <laughs> Yeah, that was stupid, but that car was cool, man. I I never changed the oil. I you know, I never did anything. I think that those have like a 3.8 liter, like a 3800 and those engines just will run forever. I actually want to put like one of those dinky little engines like in like a cool classic car just cuz it would be so stupid. <laughs> like I think everybody wants to take like a you know, car and like put the biggest, baddest engine in it. I want to take like an El Camino and make it front wheel drive with a 3.8. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it would just be so like awesome. I don't know why. My first car was a Buick Skylark 1970 model that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. It had 450 horsepower engine or something crazy like that, but it didn't have reverse. So I had to drive around and make sure I could only go in front ways and had to go have to leave going forward as well <laughs> oh wow That's but, it, but it was cheap it was super cheap which was really important <laughs> for my first car so um that that was more important yeah, yeah. than the reverse uh, it didn't have any air conditioning either which was a little rough in the south but you know it got me from a yeah, to b I'm, and it was huge so i could haul my friends around right my like daily you know the 66 it does not have air conditioning and it's going to be a while before it does, too, because I think before I can put, like, a vintage AC or anything on that, I'm, I'm going to have to do a complete rewire of the car. So it'll be a while before I'm, you know, not sweating. <laughs> but
but it's okay. I just roll the windows down. And it's got those little vent windows, too, that just, like, blow air right at you. And the 66 has these little, like, pull levers down here on the dash. I didn't know what they were, and I, I posted on, like, a Facebook group, like, hey, what does this thing do? And they're like, you know, somebody commented, like, pull that lever and, you know, meet, meet paradise or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, I'm going down the road. And I pull the lever, and all of a sudden, there's this wonderful breeze coming right up by my feet. And it's like, no way. So on those old cars, there's a little lever, and you pull it, and there's a vent down there, and it just lets air in. It's like, wow. So there's, I don't have AC, but I have, you know, breeze. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the chrome bumper. I mean, when they quit making oh, the yeah. chrome bumpers, I mean, it's too bad. They're just killer. Yeah. So killer. Um, so what I want you to do is once you get this car all ready to go, you're only three hours away from Memphis. I want you to get in it and drive down here, and we'll have you in for our concert series, and you can yeah. perform. That'd be so cool to have you in the studio. I would love to do it. That'd be awesome. And we'd love to hear some of your new music when it's coming out. And Home was a great album, and I can't wait for the next one. People probably tell you this all the time, but you're incredibly talented and just one of those people that everyone should should follow. It's uh, it's amazing to to meet you in person and to have you uh, on our show. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I appreciate everything you said, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Hopefully, I'll be able to come see you guys in Memphis soon, you know, hopefully... Uh, the world comes back around and we can go back to, you know, not being at each other's throats. <laughs> well said, well said. Thank you so much, Billy. Uh, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Billy Strings. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.